0: for me at least, it's, um, it's supernatural the way God is bringing a theme to us that has to do with his redeeming love and, and his mercy in our lives. And that's partly remarkable because of what I came to the meeting with this morning. When I was in India, I felt the Lord laid on my heart to minister on a specific topic and I remembered that um, after my dad had passed my mom gave me some of his bibles and this was one of the ones that he brought to the last several meetings it's a new american standard I'd like everybody to note that but in the, uh, in the leaf were some notes. Some of the notes were topics that he had ministered on, that we had discussed, and one of the notes he had not ministered on. And that's the topic I want to talk about today, and it's really forgiveness. And that was how he had titled it, and he had some, some commentary on what the word meant and few scriptures so I'm feeling like I'm getting to minister something he wanted to share though I don't know the depths of where he would have gone with it I just had a little fragment and I brought eight pages this morning I want to read a good bit of scripture but I just want to go quickly through it and something powerful is going to emerge that I don't think it requires much commentary and then we'll get into the nitty-gritty I read this morning from Exodus 34 how when Moses had broken the tablets of covenant of of the law that the Lord had given him he went back up to receive the tablets again. It's one of the only times that God meets with a man in the fullness of his presence or in a great expression of his presence that would only later be realized at Pentecost. So this is an encounter with God that stands apart from most encounters. You can find about five of them throughout all of the Bible, Abraham, Moses, Daniel, David, but they're unique because they don't describe an ongoing relationship or living in his presence. They describe this rare encounter that a privileged individual is afforded. And in this encounter, Yahweh describes himself. And his first words of how he presents himself to man are very telling. Now the Lord said to Moses, cut out for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets which you shattered. So be ready by morning and come up to the mountain to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me On the top of the mountain. No man is to come with you, nor let any man be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and the herds may not graze in front of that mountain. So he cut out two stone tablets like the former ones, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai. So Yahweh, as Yahweh had commanded him, and he took two stone tablets in his hand. Can we all agree that this is a special moment in history and that Moses is afforded a glimpse, an encounter with God that is unique among all God's people? He doesn't even want animals nearby. Then Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood there with Moses, as Moses called upon the name of Yahweh. Then Yahweh passed by in front of Moses and proclaimed, Yahweh proclaimed, the first words that the Almighty speaks in self revelation, self definition. He says, Yahweh, Yahweh God, is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and overflowing in loving kindness and truth. First sentence in this powerful, uncommon, supernatural moment of glorious revelation Yahweh, Yahweh God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Psalms 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. He pardons all your iniquities, he heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. This is what I came here this morning with. Do you hear a theme? Do you think God wants something to sink deep into our hearts of his loving kindness and mercy? He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. The crown that he puts on your head. Crown denoting glory. Crown denoting inheritance. Crown denoting power. The crown that he puts on your head is the power of loving kindness and compassion. He crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. He satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He quotes him verbatim from this profound encounter. He will not always strive with us in anger. Nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. For as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame, he is mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field so he flourishes. When the wind passes over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer but the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. And then these from Chronicles and Kings, but I'll read from Second Chronicles. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive. And again, Psalms 32. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave all my sin. Psalms 86, for you, O Lord, are good and ready to forgive, abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. Psalms 130, out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in His word do I take hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman waits for the morning, indeed, more than the watchman waits for the morning. Psalms 145 The Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power. To make known to the sons of men your mighty acts And the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord sustains all who fall. And raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you. And you give them their food in the right time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. The Lord is near to those who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and save them. The Lord keeps all who love him. But the wicked will be destroyed. My mouth will speak the praises of the Lord. And all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. This word that he's using for forgive, there's multiple words. And I don't want to bore you with word study. But I'll just say this, that the theme throughout the main words in both the Hebrew and the Greek is the idea of unbinding or untying a debt that is legitimately owed. So we need to visualize people's debts, our transgressions, errors, trespasses, and we visualize it as something that is tied to us, that is buckled around us and bound to our back. And the idea of forgiveness, both in the Old and New Testaments, is the idea of unbuckling and unbinding and annulling something that is legitimately owed. There is no forgiveness where there is not a debt. Forgiveness is the canceling of a legitimate debt. Jesus uses it to describe more than simply uh, a debt. There are times where he frees someone from an affliction and the word that they use that says he was loosed from his affliction, can be translated, he was forgiven from his affliction. And that's how it's translated elsewhere. I'm not even going to try to give you the correct pronunciation of Ephemi or Ephesus. Ephesus, um, Scott or somebody else can do that. But it carries the sense... Of release release from captivity release from debt release from slavery release from sin the song at the beginning asked what can I do for you do you know the answer to that question how would the Lord answer that question If we could ask him, how does scripture answer that question? If Jesus Christ laid down his life for others, so ought we to lay down our lives for our brothers. That's what we can do for him. 1 John 4 would also answer it. Beloved, if God so loved us, so ought we to love one another. And he says this is how we know what love is. We have no definition except the self-giving sacrifice at the cross. Proverbs says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers over a transgression. One translation says, hatred reminds of an evil done or an evil suffered. Do you see the debt dynamic in that? You see the one with the power to forgive he does have a power god has crowned him with compassion and loving kindness and the power that he has is to untether another from a debt that is owed but the danger is that if we are unable to untie the knot that binds the debt, it becomes a knot binding us with even greater power. It says in Proverbs 17, 9, He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. Jesus said, if your brother sins, go to him privately and show him his fault. But there's something, there's some kind of dynamic that works in the spiteful, vindictive, bitter human nature that wants to hold on to it, wants to eke it out at the right moment, wants to mention it in passing, so that people are clued in. This is an instrument that divides, that puts a wedge between close friends. It's what unforgiveness does. Now, who is the instrument who sows dissension among brethren? Who is the Satan, the accuser, the adversary, by accusation? So there's an element that mm, we almost, the flesh almost resents when someone turns from their sin because mm, we're, not, we're not sure we want to contemplate a life where we can't hold that over them. It's a kind of power, is it not? Like blackmail, it's a kind of power over someone. And it's a real one. I guess we're going to have to choose between two powers. The crown of compassion and loving kindness. Or the power of Satan, the accuser. Where we collateralize souls to hold on to debts, where we put a lien against love to retain our bitterness. The Lord is not like this. He says in Isaiah 1.18, come, come right now and let us discuss Talk and reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be white like wool. Again, in Isaiah 43, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own name's sake. And I will not remember your sins. Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. There cannot be forgiveness without a forsaking, a repentance, a turning from. Amen? But he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Do you feel his presence in this meeting? That means he may be found. Do you feel his mercy being extended? That means he may be found. Why did we start? The piano player did not coordinate with the singer. And the singer and the piano player did not coordinate with Brother Howard, who did not coordinate with Sister Susan, nor Brother Jim. Do you hear the theme? God is speaking to us. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, and he will abundantly pardon. He doesn't say he'll pardon, he says he'll abundantly pardon. What does abundant pardon look like? It looks like God saying, I'll forgive that and that and that and that and all of it if you'll forsake your stubborn will and way and come on my terms under this crimson blood that makes you white like wool. He will abundantly pardon For my thoughts are not your thoughts. We love to quote that scripture, don't we? And we always think of it like, God doesn't think like us. He's much wiser. But where he tells us that he's not like us is when he describes how abundantly forgiving he is. And yet he says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And he says that we ought to love one another just as God in Christ has loved us. So do you get it? I'll abundantly pardon from my thoughts are not like your thoughts. He says, "Come, come near because I want to show you mercy." We say, if I only could give him a piece of my mind. Our thoughts are filled with unforgiveness. Our thoughts are filled with the debts that are owed to us. We have mental spreadsheets of all the things where we were shortchanged. Only the computations of a bitter narrative and a bitter heart could keep track of all the wrongs we've been suffering. But that's what makes us not like God. His thoughts aren't anything like that. My thoughts, says the Lord, aren't like yours. I want to forgive people. I want to change people. I want to abundantly unbuckle all the straps that hold the burden of transgression on their backs. I want to change my thoughts to be more like the Lord's thoughts. The psalmist asks, what is man that your mind is full of him? That your mind is full of man. That's what it means. What is man that you are mindful of him? That your, your thoughts, God, they're full of man. He's nothing. And yet God cares. Do we? I will abundantly pardon. My thoughts aren't like yours. Nor are your ways my ways. He's saying to the He's saying to the sinner, you reason as if I'm going to treat you like you would treat others. You reason as if I'm going to think about you like you think about others. But I'm not like that. I want to show compassion. I want to abundantly pardon. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher. Higher than your thoughts. You know, that's a truism. But don't divorce it from the context. The context is he is longing to forgive. So in the, in the one biblical example of the big difference between the way we think and the way God thinks, the one big biblical example is he's forgiving. And apparently, we're not. He doesn't think like us but we need to learn to think like Him. It says that the Pharisees were quarreling with Jesus. And repeatedly, before and after, it says that they were trying to snare Him. But then it says that they brought someone caught in sin and they put the person in front of Jesus and asked Him what should be done And the Bible says, and they said this intending to trap him. And you ask yourself, how was this a trap? How was this a trap? Why did they think that this was the moment when the jaws were going to close and they were going to finally catch him? Why were they sure that this was the gotcha moment? If he had responded to that situation the way they responded and they could have been sure of that, it would have been no trap. But they were full of baloney indignation and he was full of compassion, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and longing to show abundant pardon. His thoughts were as distinct from theirs as the heavens are from the earth. Please let heaven come down to earth and rest, not in clouds, but in feelings and thoughts that would live in our hearts and minds so that we would express God. My strength has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and the bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. What does he recall? The Lord is abounding in loving kindness. Indeed, his loving kindnesses never cease for his compassions never fail they are new every morning great is your faithfulness o lord the lord is my portion says my soul therefore i have hope in him the lord says to ezekiel but if the wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed and observes all my statutes and practices justice and righteousness he shall surely live he shall not die All his transgressions which he has committed will not be remembered against him. Because of his righteousness which he has practiced, he will live. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord, rather than that he should turn from his ways and live? God does not have gotcha moments. God is not trying to catch you And snare you. God is trying to free you. And spring you from the trap where you're already caught. To the Lord our God belongs compassion and forgiveness. For we have rebelled against him, Daniel says. Tear your heart and not your clothes. Return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and compassionate slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting against the judgment he has decreed, declares Joel. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellion of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in enduring love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread out our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea, declares Micah. Do you hear a theme? Do you hear a hope? Don't you want to be more like this God? Well, he says, he tells you, what can I do for you? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So your higher thoughts, your transcendent will descend on earth. What's the very next words? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. What does it look like when the glorious thoughts of God settle upon this cruel earth? It looks like, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then the next words, lead us not into temptation. Of course, this includes all temptations that the devil would snare us by. Amen? Amen. But let me tell you a particular temptation it most certainly includes. It includes the temptation of unforgiveness. How can I say this? Paul in 2 Corinthians says, I have forgiven this one in my spirit. And if you forgive anyone, then I have also forgiven them. And if I forgive any, then you have also forgiven them. I'm paraphrasing. And then he says... Forgive him, lest what? You be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Look at this. Forgive, lest you be outwitted by Satan. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. One of the temptations is to use the faults of others in the way the devil uses them. And thus, in a certain kind of polluted, twisted righteousness, you are outwitted by Satan and become his tool instead of the tool of grace. The grace of God. Jesus, Matthew 6, if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Did you hear the if? If, 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 can you make it to heaven? Without our Heavenly Father's forgiveness. Hmm? I want you to know that you can live a squeaky clean life, but be kept out of heaven for nothing but unforgiveness. It is a sin that aligns with the strategies of Satan and betrays the power of the cross. It is not a grace to be given willy-nilly. There are parameters for forgiveness. But you better make sure those are set by God and not by you. Matthew 16, verse 15. I just read verse 14. Look at verse 15. Let's read them together. If you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. You need to be as afraid of unforgiveness as you are of murder. And if you're not afraid of the unforgiveness lingering in your heart, you do not perceive it the way the Lord does. Because it is the one sin that He's mentioning here that can reapply all the debts to your life that you thought were wiped out in Christ. Are you afraid of unforgiveness towards your brother, towards your parents? anyone. If you are not afraid of unforgiveness, you have the wrong view. He says, if you do not forgive, your heavenly father will not forgive you, your transgressions. Matthew 18, Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I didn't say up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Luke's version, he says, in a day. How often shall my brother sin in a day? That's 490 times. Am I getting that right? Am I math correct? 490 times. How many minutes are in a day? Anybody know? 1440, okay. So, 1440 divided by 490. So, huh? About, three. About every three minutes? Okay. Not counting sleep? Not counting sleep. <laughs> so if we bring it to sleep, every 1.5 minutes, 12 waking hours of the day. Do you think that he wanted you to... Keep a tally and say, this is the 491st time I will not forgive. (laughs) Finally. Or do you think he wanted to blow out the limiter in us on the mercy of God? You're not supposed to be a vessel. You're supposed to be a tube, a conduit where he just flows through you to love his people. What do you feel like was in Peter? I I, I feel like Peter was stretching it. I think he really felt like, should I really forgive him today if yesterday he committed the same mistake? I think that's probably what was on his mind. But I think he thought, you know, reductio ad absurdum. Let's stretch this into the unrealistic. (laughs) And surely he'll back off a little. (laughs) So let's say... Should I forgive my brother even seven times? And I think he might have expected Jesus to say, well, not seven times. I mean, you know, that's that's a lot. But, you know, twice is enough or something like that. (laughs) Jesus didn't take the bait. But what was it? What was it? Why do you feel like that was a question for someone who is one of the most gifted men in human history? Peter. Peter. Why was that a why was that a wish? Why, why, what, what was at work there? What is it in us that doesn't want to forgive? What is that hesitancy? You say, well, I'm just not sure he's repented. Maybe. 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 But if you see it as a debt, if scripture defines it as a debt, you don't want to stop being the banker. You want to earn interest on that debt. And you can. You can earn interest on those debts. And for every 0.1% of interest that you accrue, know that you're losing the entirety of the heavenly father's forgiveness of you. It's powerful to be a banker, isn't it? Powerful. You get to dictate terms. You get to dictate times, payments, and you hold it right there. In fact. It's perhaps meaningful to note, it, note that many shrewd bankers put an early payment penalty into the clause. Do you know that? How many knew that? Early payment penalty. They don't want you to pay it off because they want to earn interest. Now, you're looking at it from the opposite direction. You're saying, i got to put as much additional money on the principal as I can because i got to pay this thing off in seven years and not 30, right? I hope that's how you're thinking. Please think like that. <laughs> Amen. But the banker's like, no, you're not allowed to pay this off early because we want to stay in the position of control. And that same principle, we, we have an early Payment penalty with our brothers. We're not interested in seeing it gone. We want to make sure that we've got them by the strap. They're under our control. You know, if we don't change this, we're not going to move into unity. The unity we're talking about, we're going to have to, we're going to, have to give people a second chance or maybe a 490th chance. We're going to have to unbuckle the debt and ask the Lord to deal with that. You know, in Matthew 18, he describes somebody who owed over a million dollars in modern currency and he couldn't pay and he pleaded and he was forgiven. And and then this forgiven former debtor um, is owed like five dollars proportionately. And he tries to extract the last penny of this small debt. And so in the parable, the once forgiven debtor who's now demanding the last farthing, is bound hand and foot and thrown into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Anybody without a bias is going to know that's hell. And Jesus finishes that parable up with this very poignant statement. He says, my heavenly father will do the same thing to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. Can we all say, from the heart? Why did he put that in there? Well, he shows with that qualifier that it's possible to forgive when it's not from the heart. We've never seen that. Tell your brother you're sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) We're just like that. We're just like that. If you know Billion dollars that's been cut from your back that would have sunk you lower than hell. It actually creates an eagerness, a hope in you that you would suffer a wrong that you would have the chance to forgive. This is husbands and wives. This is parents and children. This is brothers and sisters. This is brothers and brothers. This is across the board. You don't know your New Testament and you don't know your old if you don't know that God describes himself as different from us based on how liberal he is with forgiveness, compassion, and mercy. Jesus said, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father who is in heaven will also forgive your transgressions he says whenever you stand praying is that how you start your prayer god in jesus name i forgive i let go i untie this burden and this debt from so and so Do you see how this is an integral part of our relationship with God? Peter says if husbands are harsh with their wives, their prayers are going to be hindered. God is wanting to know that this is ordered aright. That forgiveness and compassion are the theme of our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Answer, do you, do you pray like that? God, I, re, I let this go in Jesus' name. I let it go. Even if you've told the person, you forgive them. You need to tell God you forgive them too. It's part of your prayer. Do not judge and you will not be judged, not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour it into your lap, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Do you think it's possible that you could forgive someone as much as God has forgiven you? No, because all the sins you've ever committed were committed against him. And he has offered forgiveness. They've committed maybe one or two. Oh, you might even think a dozen, but it doesn't even hold a candle to what you've been forgiven. And if you cling to it, Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they're doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. (laughs) Do you think he was just striking a pose to show how superior to us he was? Or do you think he actually was worried about those people? Because it's one or the other. Either he's just striking a pose to show how better than us he is, or he's actually dying nailed to a tree and he's worried about the people killing him. And we have to think this must have been the case because it's not just this moment of forgiveness. He's talking about how his mom should be taken care of by John. Right? And he's talking to the thief on the cross and trying to help him come to a a faith that can see him across the chasm. I mean, this wasn't a magnanimous gesture. Oh God, take my eyes off myself. Take my thoughts out of the gutter of my pathetic justice and give me those thoughts that are higher than the earth as the heaven is. Give me that burden of love. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Amen. He didn't sprinkle it on us. He didn't touch us with it. He dumped it on us. Why does the Bible, are they just trying to be flamboyant and flowery in their speech no he lavished it on us he dumped it on us he opened the windows of heaven and poured out something we couldn't contain the blood that jesus shed for me way back on calvary it reaches to the highest mountain it flows to the lowest valley because it's an ocean that the highest mountain can't rise above. It's an ocean that the deepest valley can't hide from. It's the love of God. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Where every star on earth a quill and every man. A scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the Hulk contain the scrolls, though stretched from sky to sky. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. I'm not saying I rise to this, but I'm saying we got to rise to this. Stephen, when he was being stoned, Was praying for his murderers, and that prayer was not a gesture. That prayer was answered a few years later on a road to Damascus when somebody was struck to the ground and met the one they persecuted. God, help us! Help us! Help us! Help us to be in the pain of others' harm against us and be concerned about them more than ourselves. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. That's what we need. That's what the brother was saying God is healing in his life. We need that tenderness of heart. And then he adds, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Colossians, he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins, skip two chapters. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. It's not your heart. It doesn't come from you. But there's one you can put on that comes from Jesus. You can go to Calvary and say, would you put that on me, Lord? Would you put that self-giving love in my heart? Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. It's the same thing he told the Ephesus church. These churches didn't survive, they did not sustain, they lost out. Thirty years after Paul's demise, Clement of Rome is saying to the Corinthians, You're full of rivalry, you're full of jealousy. All I see is the spirit of Cain toward Abel. He was begging them, remember what the Apostle Paul wrote to you and repent and restore the love. He said, Clement of Rome, he said 30 some years after Paul's demise, he said, the the young rise up against the old. Brother rises up against brother. This is not the spirit of Christ. Is that what's going to be said of us? I'll tell you what, if you lose awareness of what God has done for you, you will live your life in the wrong light. The dim light of self-complacent, self-satisfied, self-righteousness. But if you live your life in view of God's mercy, you're going to view things right. You're going to weep when we sing about the blood that never loses its power and you're going to be ready to show the mercy that's been shown to you knowing you can only give a teaspoon when you've been shown an ocean. Paul, see that no one repays another evil for evil but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people (sighs) to accept the injustice that he suffered on your behalf is to renounce justice for the rest of your life in every circumstance and acknowledge that you live by mercy and grace. And these have triumphed over justice. You cannot squeeze from another what you have gladly, what God has gladly forgiven you. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our times of need. He says, I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. But he will remember yours if you remember others. You want to be like the Lord? You need to let it go. You need to let it go. You need to unbind yourself from the life of a banker and become God's free servant, the servant of love. How much more with the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, Offered himself without blemish to God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Their sins and their lawless deeds, he says again in in Hebrews 10, I will no longer remember. Peter. Peter. Peter who once thought he was better than everybody, right? I don't think he would mind me saying that. And I don't say it to judge him. I say it to take encouragement from him. Though everybody forsake you, I ain't going to forsake you. I'm with you. Prison, death, I'm with you. These guys are shallow, but me, it's different. I'll show you in that garden. I'll pull out my sword. I'll show you. But then he saw that he he didn't have what it took. And he wasn't better than the rest. He needed the grace of God. And so when asked if he loved more than the rest, he, he didn't pretend that he did. He just said that he loved him, that he had affection. He, wouldn't even, he wasn't even willing to say he had agape. But then he did get it, didn't he? He took his stand with the rest. He found what it meant to be a Christian. With all of his failures, with all of his triumphs, he's the one who said, take the garment of humility and wrap it around you and don't let its covering ever be stripped from you. And he's also the one who in his epistle said above all, above all, every concern on your mind, forget the farm by comparison, forget the programs and the fair by comparison, forget everything above all else, above all else, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers or forgives is the word a multitude of transgressions if there's a person in this room who's not convicted by this word then you need to repent because you're deaf to god this is for all of us this is for all of us and i'm not denying that at times it gets sticky i'm not addressing the stick the sticky spots i'm just addressing the big category of what we're called to If there's something in you that is eager to forgive, then your thoughts are becoming like the Lord's thoughts. And your ways are starting to align with His ways. And His kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven, even as you're forgiving your debts as your heavenly Father forgives you. But if you're reluctant, if you don't like it, if you resent it, if you want to hold that so that you can collateralize their life with their faults, you can put a lien against love. you got the wrong perspective. If people think of you that you're too merciful, well, they thought that about Jesus. They thought that about Paul. If they think of you that you're stingy, resentful, and bitter, you better ask God if, if you know what it means to use the power that he's given you to untie the burden from your brother or whether you use it to control your brother, to set the terms because unforgiveness is is not just unforgiveness, it's a sin that we won't be forgiven for. Am I lying or is that the truth? Will you be forgiven for unforgiveness? For continued unforgiveness, will you be forgiven? Anybody who tells you you will is lying because Jesus said, Your heavenly Father will not forgive you. So if you're going to Him, you better start untying every one of those bundles and saying, I'm just thankful. I can give something. I can release someone from a harm against me because I, I need God to release me. I need God's grace and mercy in my life. You know, people who've gone through hell, they're, they're not stingy with forgiveness. But the righteous son who stayed home when the prodigal went adrift That righteous son, I think you need to read carefully that parable. That's not a good outcome for him. You need to read it again and again and again, the whole chapter, until you get what he's saying. Nobody is going to come except broken, forgiven, grateful, forgiving, and eager to give to others what's been given to them. She says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Amen? So This doesn't negate our need to confront. That's not, that's not the answer. Okay? Don't lie to yourself. Don't let yourself off the hook. Okay, that's not the answer. But our whole posture needs to be one of forgiveness. I'm going to tell you something that I didn't think I would ever tell you, but I think it illustrates my point. At what I believe was the last event or one of two of the last events my dad came to, someone who had left here as a teenager, wanted to come greet my dad with the knowledge that it would be the last time he saw him. He's in his 40s now, and he came over. My dad was in the wheelchair, and he shook his hand and embraced him. And the the backslider, the wayward brother, his whole face was was trembling with feeling, with love, with memory and my dad took his hand and he held him and he pulled him down close and he said this man's been gone for 20 years he said have I ever disrespected you or treated you wrong if I have would you please tell me and forgive me. And the backsider said, Brother Blair, you've never treated me with anything but love. And He said, Do you mean that? Is that true? And he said, Yes. When you cross that threshold, you're going to want to know that you learn to live with his thoughts and not yours, and to walk in his ways and not yours. They are high, high above us, but they come down through the grace of the Holy Spirit. They come down through the love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts. I want to ask that we take a few moments, maybe five, 10 minutes, and we just pray. And we, we pray that we don't lose our brokenness before God, our gratitude for the blood that never loses power, that we don't lose the ethos of mercy and forgiveness that has defined this church for all 50 years of its existence, that we are kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other. And some may feel to get up and go talk to somebody in this meeting. Others may feel to just kneel at their chair or pray or do whatever... Let's just let a spirit of conviction come upon us. Because we, we read at the beginning that he is near to those who call on his name. And we may need compassion right now for our lack of compassion. And we may need forgiveness right now for our lack of forgiveness. But we can, we can make a pivot. Maybe it's a big one. Maybe it's a small one. But let's get to that place that God is calling us to. Let nothing come between us. Nothing come between us. Amen. We sang at the end of last meeting, if you are serving Jesus, then you belong to me. Do you feel that way? Amen. Communion. It's not a ritual, brothers and sisters. It's the end of debts. It's the end. We can't go back. We can't hold on to it. Somebody can say, well, you know, I forgive, but I don't trust. Okay, I I can accept that. You better be careful, though, because you're just carving out an exception for yourself. And if you succeed in fooling yourself, you're going to get to heaven and find a big surprise. God wants people to be released through you. That's why he ties forgiveness to this one of two times where he says, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. It's not for you to say whether you can or can't. It's just for you to know what God is saying to this person, to this need, and to know that His ways are higher than your ways, and His thoughts than your thoughts. and to try to reach toward him with an increase in compassion and forgiveness and mercy. I wanted
1: to just say I woke up this morning. I didn't know what God was going to speak today, but this was was the song that came to me. You said some of this was prompted by your dad's notes. Well, I remember the very first song I ever sang
0: with the choir. Your your dad sent this song. And I remember hearing it,
1: feeling deep in my heart. I I don't I can't just sing this song. I can testify it. And I feel it even stronger today with God's word. Amen. You. your grace and your mercy They brought me through. Oh. Justice, justice demanded that I should die. But grace and mercy said, Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no already paid the price. You see, oh, I, I once was so lost, but thank you, Jesus, now I'm found. And it was because grace and mercy